the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's a fact. If the riches of the wealthy were suddenly given to the average American, the rich would have most of their wealth back in no time at all. Not because they're more deserved, but because they do a great job of getting us to spend it back to them. And once in their hands, they work it to their self-interest. The host of Get Rich Slow, Jim McAleese, believes the financial decisions you make today will guide your financial destiny tomorrow. Jim teaches you to plan for the worst and then hope for the best. America is under no obligation to provide what you need. Entitlements are out. Opportunity is today's watchword. Money matters can be intimidating, but they don't have to be. So start or supercharge your wealth-building plan now with Jim McAleese. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Good morning and welcome to Get Rich Flow. This is your money school for financial winners. Here we explore strategies to help you prosper. We look at the big picture and then develop plans to help guide our families to meet their financial goals. Get Rich Flow gives you solid financial strategies, strategies that will help improve your financial life. If you want the truth, not the hype, please join us for the next hour for Get Rich Slow. I'm Jim McAleese, Certified Financial Planner and President of Cornerstone Consultants Incorporated, where securities and investment advisory services are offered through Next Financial Group Incorporated, which is a member of FINRA and Civic. Cornerstone Consultants is not an affiliate of Next Financial Group. Good morning and welcome Back from our Thanksgiving holiday. We've been expecting fall to kind of morph into winter and maybe a little, a few bouts of some light snow before the real uh, winter weather. But uh, boy, were we fooled this week. <laughs> when old man winter, he dumped six to 12 inches of snow on Cleveland. It was really a shock. We all survived, but now we have some stories to tell about how we were really caught flat-footed. I thought that I would spend the the uh, past week trying to get back into the routine after Thanksgiving, but you know the uh, the storm uh, that changed my focus to more mundane tasks like learning how to how to drive in the ice and snow again. And now that the storm is over and things have settled down, we can look back at a wonderful but unusual Thanksgiving, where Zoom and FaceTime replaced travel and hugs and kisses. But we still remember all the things that we're thankful for, the family and friends, the young and the old, and the memories that we'll cherish forever. And talking about remembering the past, we should take the time, Monday, to remember an extremely important date in our history as a nation. The attack on Pearl Harbor happened 79 years ago on Sunday, December 7, 1941. So, Monday, let's uh, remember 
and pay our respects to the sailors and Marines who died there on the Arizona, the Utah, the Oklahoma, and the other ships that were sunk at Pearl Harbor. About 2,400 servicemen died in the attack, and another 1,300 were wounded. And it was the start of World War II for us, a war where over 11 million Americans would serve in uniform, and they would serve and fight all over the world. Now, 11 million it sounds like a big number, and it was really a big number because the population of the United States at that time was about 120 million. So there was a time that demonstrated that we as a nation could overcome great obstacles, both in the past as well as the future. <clears throat> and sometimes, Monday, we need to take the time to remember the past sacrifices of our service men and women. Uh, major events like Pearl Harbor and World War II, they just give us some perspective for viewing the major events that are happening today. Basically, if you're not in harm's way and you're working from home or you're sheltered in place, then basically we've never had it so good. If you are in harm's way out there taking care of the sick and the dying, then this too shall pass. The news in reality, we're in the middle of a coronavirus pandemic, but on the good side, we have three tested vaccines in production and awaiting approval. Pfizer and uh, Biotech uh, have one vaccine, Moderna, and then there's AstraZeneca. So we got three and are waiting for the FDA approval and vaccinations should start before the end of the year. Uh, according to the Wall Street Journal article, a federal vaccine advisory panel, which is advises the uh, Center for Disease Control and Prevention, voted uh, 13 to 1 on Tuesday in favor of giving the first vaccines to about 21 million healthcare workers and 3 million residents of long-term care facilities. Uh, the Center for Disease Control usually follows the recommendations of its advisory panel, and if they, and if they are accepted by the agency's director and secretary of health and human services, Alex Azar, they'll become the official CDC policy. Mr. Azar, who has supported early vaccination of nursing home residents, has said uh, state governors uh, may make final decisions about whom to vaccinate first with the doses that the federal government allocates to them based upon their adult population, we see individuals living in long-term care facilities are at exceptional risk for mortality and morbidity due to the virus and the disease. <clears throat> Other high-risk populations, including essential workers, such as teachers and police and adults with underlying health conditions, and people age 65 and over who are not in a communal setting are expected to be next in line, although the panel doesn't set recommendations for them yet. Uh, votes on the order of priority will probably come later after U.S. regulators authorize each vaccine and more clinical uh, trial data becomes available. And I think what they mean there is that <clears throat> if you're talking about vaccinating the older population, I'm not quite sure uh, a lot of the older population was included in those uh, vaccine uh, trials. 
So, uh, again, we'll go back to that article. The Wall Street supplies are expected to be limited initially. Uh, Pfizer and BioNTech have said that they could provide the U.S. with uh, 25 million doses, <clears throat> potentially enough for 12.5 million people. And Moderna said that it could make 20 million doses uh, by the end of December. So weekly shipments of 5 to 10 million doses are expected upon uh, authorization, uh, the federal officials said uh, Tuesday. So uh, they're getting ready to, uh, the vaccines are in production right now, and they're waiting approval, and they're I'm sure they're distributing them around the nation right now. The news about the vaccines and the anticipation or hope for more fiscal stimulus gave equities a big positive boost this week. Even the the continuing coronavirus, which has been hitting the U.S. particularly hard right now, couldn't slow the equity markets down this week. Investors are expecting the next installment of the fiscal stimulus to be agreed upon soon. Both President Trump and President-elect Biden are urging a deal. And according to the Wall Street Journal uh, article Thursday, uh, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said on the Senate floor that, quote, this is at least movement in the right direction. Compromise is within reach, and we know where we agree, and we can do this, unquote. Now, there are several proposals out there. If you recall, this this second portion, or I guess it maybe everybody talks a different language in terms of how many fiscal stimuluses there have been. The one that I remember is the CARES program in uh, uh, March of uh, this year, and that really uh, made about $2.5 trillion uh, available in terms of uh, uh, paychecks, $1,200 paychecks, and the payroll protection plan, and money for the airlines, and and other things. And uh, this, that money ran out probably in in uh, August and September. Now they're talking about this second uh, relief package, and there are several proposals out there, and hopefully, an interim uh, deal can be done—a short-term deal. That'll get us from where we're at right now past the end of the year when the CARES Act unemployment benefits expire. In other words, what I'm talking about there is that typically your state uh, unemployment benefits go on for, I think it's 27 uh, uh, 27 weeks, but then uh, the government, federal government plan, it's instituted in the CARES Act, takes over after that, and that expires at the end of this year. So they need something to get the unemployment benefits past the end of the year and get this whole thing into maybe like mid-March. And uh, at that time, the new administration will take over, and by then it'll take over, and there'll be other plans. So the question right now with regard to this interim uh Fiscal stimulus. What will the price tag be? Will it be uh, six hundred billion or nine hundred billion? Now, Majority Leader Mitch McConnell he drew the line this week, uh, circulating a straightforward virus relief bill 
that checks the, uh, this came from the Wall Street Journal, checks the bipartisan boxes. As Mr. McConnell noted, the bill delivers right away, quote, right away all the subjects where everyone agrees. Uh, uh, those are more funding for small businesses, a vaccine, money for uh, vaccine distribution, extended unemployment uh, aid, as well as uh, legal certainty for hospitals, schools, and religious groups. Better yet, the bill repurposes some $569 billion of unused uh, virus funds, offsetting the entirety of his bill's cost. So his his proposal for the stimulus is uh, for uh, basically $570 billion, and apparently uh, Congress has the money in hand. Uh, the majority of the $569 billion would come from the uh, uh, $450 billion that the Treasury Secretary Mnuchin, he reallocated back from the Federal Reserve uh, two weeks ago. And uh, that money came back because it wasn't being used uh, by the Federal Reserve. And give you a little background on on that particular uh, uh, idea, <clears throat> in the CARES Act of March, uh, Congress had appropriated approximately $450 billion to back up any bad loans or or corporate bonds that the Federal Reserve would get stuck with in its new lending facilities. So if you recall, in March, uh, when the money was appropriated, the credit markets were beginning to freeze up. In other words, by freezing up, I mean the people were concerned about loaning other people money, uh, concerned about buying corporate bonds, things of this nature, because uh, no one knew in March uh, the extent of this uh, coronavirus thing. In that particular time, everybody, all the companies were borrowing as much money as they could possibly get their hands on and drawing down their uh, credit to the point where uh, get the cash in hand, get the cash in the company, because we don't know what's coming in the future. So uh, and the market, the credit market was beginning to freeze up. And at that time, it was thought that the Federal Reserve would step in and buy corporate loans and bonds and totaling close to $5 trillion dollars. And in order to do that, they instituted a slew of uh, new lending facilities, one for the money market, one for uh, municipal bonds, one for uh, uh, money market, uh, not for money markets, but for uh, uh, mutual funds. They had a backup for just about everything. And because the Federal Reserve never takes a loss, uh, the $450 billion dollars, uh, was basically a reserve that the, the Congress gave them to cover maybe 10% of the soured loans or bonds. But uh, when the Federal Reserve stood on the stage in March and uh, said that it was ready to open business and loan money to whoever needed money to the tune of $5 trillion, and basically, the cavalry had arrived at that time, and investors and banks felt safe again. So the credit markets unfroze. In other words, they just they said, "Hey, the the, the Federal Reserve is here. Uh, we're all safe. 
Now the banks can uh, loan money to uh, companies. Now the uh, investors can buy bonds. Everything is hunky-dory. And actually, uh, things went back to normal in the credit markets, and the latest Federal Reserve balance sheet for the start of this month, that shows that they only loaned out, uh, the Federal Reserve only bought about $170 billion of loans and corporate bonds. Uh, you know, out of that $5 trillion total. So at that point, the Treasury Secretary said, okay, give us back the $450 billion, and we're going to use that money now for, uh, the plan was to use it for this next uh, stimulus, along with some other money that they had. So uh, while the U.S. economy is uh, recovery and beginning stronger and faster than estimated, getting stronger, and it's moving faster than estimated. The big jump in the uh, coronavirus cases, now we're up to something like 220,000 new cases a day and 1,700 deaths per day, has knocked the stuffing out of the employment picture, you know, with the increased number of cases and the online schooling and people having to stay home because of lack of child care and things of this nature. Uh, the vaccine basically. You know, it can't come fast enough. Uh, the need for another fiscal stimulus package was reinforced basically by the job situation report for November from the Department of Labor, and it showed that the U.S. job growth showed, slowed sharply in November. In other words, per Bloomberg, the payroll increase of 245000 in November was approximately half of the consensus expectations. So, and part of that is basically, hey, the, the coronavirus, the cases are picking up. Uh, the uh, restrictions, the health restrictions are slowing things down. And uh, uh, what you're seeing is that um, uh, that reinforced the need for more stimulus. And I think what you saw this week in the rally was basically uh, investors' expectations seemed to be uh, we're going to get the virus, the virus works, I mean, it's the vaccines, the vaccines work, and they'll be on the scene in uh, December and uh, starting vaccinations. The vaccinations of the major part of the population will be done by probably July and August. And basically, after the, after we get this uh uh, virus under control, then spending will boom and the economy will boom with it. So um, that's what we're seeing in, in terms of uh, the rally in the stock market is the anticipation of a lot of events. Uh, but as we recall, that old saying, there's many a slip between the cup and the lip. So uh, what you think is going to happen uh, is not a, you've got to wait and see what really happens. So if you take a look at the U.S. economy, U.S. economy, part of it is uh, has been in good shape and steadily recovering. Uh, that That's the part that isn't exposed to the coronavirus. But they, they, the, corona, the part that is exposed to the coronavirus is the tourism, the entertainment, uh, the restaurants. Uh, those are feeling the shock and, and basically... Airline travel and the rest of it; those things really won't recover until that vaccine 
uh, gets out there and uh, gets widely distributed. So, uh, but considering the rest of the economy that isn't exposed, it's in good shape and getting better. If you take a look at new home construction, uh, new home construction is fully recovered from the coronavirus. Uh, residential construction, the residential construction industry is running so fast now. It's running into operating problems, like there aren't enough experienced workers, and lumber prices have doubled. The supply chains are slowing down. They can't supply the uh, um, the hardware necessary for building homes and the toilets and everything else. Uh, the latest result from the uh, U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development for October, they show that for single-family homes, uh, Comparing October of 2020 to October of 2019, permits were up 20.6% and starts were up 29.4%. That's for single-family homes. And also, if you compare it, let's say, year-to-date, uh, 2020 to 2019, what you see is that permits were up 10.9% in 2020 and the starts were up 8.6%. So basically what you're seeing is a booming uh, home, home construction industry. Uh, existing home, For existing homes, uh, the National Association of Realtors indicated uh, a couple of weeks ago that sales in October were up 4.3% from September, uh, that sales in October of 2020 uh, were up uh, 26.6% compared to sales a year earlier. Uh, the median home price in uh, October stood at 313000 and it was up 15.5% from October a year ago. And the uh, number of uh, months of supply uh, going at this existing rate it's about two and a half months. That number should be more like five or six months, but that, that that's indicating the demand, which is basically being driven by uh, very, very low mortgage rates. They're down below 3% now. And uh, also the uh, people want to get out of the city and get into more isolated surroundings. Uh, another... Uh, uh, point of information is the Case-Shiller Home Price in- Index. Not to, it's not an index; it's a survey. The Case-Shiller uh, Home Price Survey. They've been tracking single-family home prices for the last 30 years in uh, 20 metropolitan areas, and Cleveland is one of the 20 metropolitan areas. And it basically shows home prices uh, for September in Cleveland. That's the latest data. Uh, the home prices in Cleveland, the metropolitan area, were up 7.7% over the last uh, 12 months. So if you take a look at the parts of the economy that aren't exposed to the uh, coronavirus, um, they're in uh, reasonable shape, in fact, good shape and getting better. Uh, if you take a look at the employment situation, which was the shocker, uh, it came out on Friday. Uh, the uh, employment situation report for November from the Department of Labor 
was basically a major disappointment. Uh, the Department of Labor reported focused on the payroll data. Um, yeah, payroll data collected in November. It showed that uh, payrolls increased only 245,000 uh, new jobs in. Uh, in November, and the unemployment rate eased down from uh, 6.9% in October to 6.7% in uh, November, which is still very, very high, but it sure is a lot lower than the 14.7% unemployment rate in April. Give you an idea of the uh, numbers over the last several months. For instance, in August, uh, the economy added close to 1.5 million jobs. September, they added about 711,000. October, they added about 610,000. And suddenly in November, uh, this latest reading, we're down to 245,000. So the report shows that the U.S. growth showed slowed sharply in November. And uh, basically, uh, the recovery is losing steam due to the surge in the coronavirus cases and the mandatory business restrictions. So if you take a look at the report, what you see is the federal government employment was down 86,000, and that was mostly due to the loss of temporary census workers. They knew they were going to go. Local government education dropped 21,000. Uh, due to the online schooling process, you need less bus drivers, less janitorial support, and everything else. Uh, retail sales also took a major hit of 34000 and that was due to an increase in online shopping in this coronavirus environment. The big picture there is that the private sector, which added uh, 344,000 jobs in November, uh, to a workforce of 121 million workers. In November of 2019, that workforce stood at 129.2 million. So we basically lost somewhere close to 8 million people in the unemployment over the last year, over this coronavirus thing. And the government sector they lost 99,000 jobs in November out of a workforce of 21.4 million. And if we break, break that 21.4, who, who works for the government? The federal government employs 2.9 million people. The state government employs 4.9 million people. And your local government, including your school system and everything else, and police, they uh, employ 13.7 million. So in November, that uh, that uh, a year ago, that workforce stood at 22.7 million. And uh, if you're looking at the the private sector, what you're seeing is that uh, in November, manufacturing employment increased 27,000, uh, but we're still down uh, 500 and uh, close to 600,000. Uh, employees lower than in February. So manufacturing has has increased 27,000 in November, but they have uh, are still close to 600,000 lower than they were in February. Construction gained 27,000 jobs in November, but we're still shy 279,000 from February. 
Retail sales lost 35,000, but uh, employment and retail sales is still shy 550,000 uh, from February. Uh, and it goes on employment and transportation and warehousing. Uh, that rose 145,000, but it's still 123,000 below the February levels. And uh, healthcare added 46,000 jobs in November. And there's still 527,000 lower than uh, in February. The big hit, of course, as always, is the employment in leisure and hospitality. That uh, added only 31,000 jobs, but uh, it's shy 3.4 million people since uh, February. So basically what you're seeing is there's a big difference between the total unemployment now and what it was in February. And we'll see that later in the unemployment numbers and unemployment benefits, too. There are something like six or seven million people who have uh, been unemployed since March. So uh, this is, uh, you know, this is Jim McAleese. You can give us a call over our toll-free number. It's 1-888-281-1110. And we can talk about other things. You know, we're talking about what the economy looks like and and what happened in the uh, uh, what happened to your investments uh, this week. And but really, the, the the crux of it should be what's happening in your uh, microeconomic plan. This is the plan where you sit down and you talk about uh, what your plans are. Uh, you have an emergency fund. If, if, if you know this, this, uh, uh, this case in, in February and March, where suddenly this coronavirus hit our economy, certainly drove home the need for an emergency fund of maybe anywhere from uh, six months to a year's worth of uh, living expenses, and just. Stick it in the bank, and you're not going to make that much money on it, but it's going to be available uh, if an emergency happens so that you're not in a uh, panic and having to draw on your credit cards and things of this nature. And uh, there's lots of other things, too. Have you put together a budget? Do you know where your money is going? Does that budget include savings for uh, different aspects of your financial plan? Part of it should be retiring, and that's uh, that should be in your 401k or your IRAs. Uh, part of it should be if you're young enough or you're starting to uh, think about uh, getting married, uh, the, the wedding expenses, the, the fake expenses of starting a family, buying a home. All these things should be uh in your ideas and in your plans about what you do with your paycheck so that your money can basically flow uh, uh, from those paychecks into uh, accounts. And those accounts should be earmarked for different goals, retirement, a new home, a business, uh, starting a family. Somebody's going to have to stay home for a while. Uh, There's going to be less paychecks. Um, all those things that you envision for your future are going to cost money, and you should be saving to uh, have the money available uh, when it's needed. 
just like just uh, uh, like this week, it was a good week for the stock market. Uh, if I take a look at the Standard and Poor uh, 500, uh, Standard and Poor 500 closed uh, Friday at 3,699.12. That means it was up 1.7 uh, percent this week. And like I say, it's been on a, basically a roll because last week it was up 2.3%. So this is Jim McAleese. You're listening to Get Rich Slow. You can give us a call over our toll-free number. It's 1-888-281-1110. Now stay tuned. I'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. Hi, this is Colleen, producer of Get Rich Slow. Each week, we take calls from people just like you that have questions for our host, Jim McAleese. Oftentimes, Jim can't answer the questions in depth because of time restraints or the need for more detailed information. That's why we encourage you to call Cornerstone Consultants, Inc., the financial counseling service founded by Jim and Tama McAleese. Cornerstone Consultants, Inc. has helped thousands of clients get more for their money. Whether your financial goal is to avoid common investing mistakes, buying your next home, planning for retirement, finding that right mutual fund, or covering your assets with the right kind of insurance, Cornerstone Consultants, Inc. will guide you to wise financial choices. So call Cornerstone Consultants, Inc. for an appointment today at 440-647-2793. That number again? 440-647-2793. Now back to more Get Rich Slow. <laughs> it's Christmas time, everybody. I can't wait. Welcome back to Get Rich Slow. This is your host this morning, Jim McAleese. You can give us a call over our toll-free number. It's one 888 And we'll talk about whatever is on your mind with regard to uh, what you're seeing out there or your financial plan. So uh, let's go to our phones right now. Hello, this is Jim McAleese. Can I help you? Hello. Hello, Jim. Um, my husband, he's 62. And we had a lot of uh, financial problems this year. We had layoffs and, and some health issues. Not disability, but we, ha- we didn't have as much money this year. Anyway, um, he's 62. I'm 51, and we have 13-year-old twins. Would it make any sense if he took his Social Security? Uh well, it depends. It's one of your it's one of your options. Uh, in, in a situation like this, what you have to do is say, okay, uh, we need the money. Uh, where what options do we have? And certainly, the Social Security is one of those options. Um, let's talk about it. Uh, in Social Security. Uh, typically, what I always recommend is that you at least uh, hold off on drawing Social Security until you get to be full retirement age, which is basically 66, uh, 66 plus some months right now. And uh, uh, basically, if you are uh, if you go early, uh, like 62, then you're going to take a uh, 6% per year 
reduction from what you would get at full retirement age. Okay, which is a big hit. Uh, so you have to take that into account. And I generally say, hey, stay to full retirement age. And most of my clients, uh, it's basically what they do. They 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 uh, they don't push it to seventy. Uh, they go at uh, their full retirement age. But in your case, it's it's different. Okay, so what you do is take a look at it and say, okay, you can get a if your husband goes out on Social Security uh, benefits, he's going to get his benefit. It's going to be reduced six percent per year from what he would get from if he stayed till uh, sixty-six plus so many months. Uh, you're going to get a benefit because you're going to be staying home with your youngsters, and uh, as long as the youngsters are less than uh, uh, under sixteen, uh, then you're going to get fifty uh, percent of of his. Uh, uh, half of what the, the half you get half of what he would have in his at uh, primary insurance amount, which which is means that his uh, full amount at uh, sixty six. So you'll get half of that, and the children will also get fifty uh, percent as long as they're younger than eighteen. So what you're looking at, if he if he applies now, your husband gets his. Uh, Social Security benefits at age 62, you get 50% of his benefits at, uh, it would be his benefits at uh, full retirement age, and each of the youngsters will also get uh, 50% of the husband's uh, full retirement age benefits, and as long as they're less than 18. Now, they can be older than 18 if they're in school, so there is uh, there's a lot of rules and regulations with regard to uh, Social Security and family benefits. So as to uh, are the children adopted, are they biological, are they stepchildren? Uh, there's all sorts of rules and regulations here. So the best option is realize that we're just, what we're doing here is just sketching out what's available to you. So it's your husband's, uh, his benefits at age 62, half of the uh, his benefits, his full retirement benefits for you until the children are uh, 16, and then each of the children get half of that, uh, half of their uh, father's um, benefits until they're age 18. Now, the important thing is that... Uh, uh, that number might come up to a certain total that exceeds what Social Security is willing to pay. Uh, so they do have a number there as to how much a family maximum that the family is going to get paid per month. So what you do is uh, give your Social Security office a call and arrange to go down there. You and your husband go down there and meet with Social Security people. Uh, don't do this. Uh, you, you can make your uh, arrangements for the meeting over the phone, but don't uh, think that you're going to get all the information from a phone call. What you need to do is go down there, talk to the people, uh, sit down with them. They got all the information, all your information, 
all your husband's information on their computer, and they can pull it up on their screen, and they can walk you through this and make sure that you have uh, a good you have good information and good data to be able to make these decisions. In other words, I'm, I'm visualizing this as one option in, okay, we're going to uh, go with the Social Security at age 62. And I'm sure you have other other options, other ideas about uh, what you can do, and but you need to have good information here with regard to uh, uh, Social Security. It's complex and there's lots of rules and uh, you can't go by what I'm saying on radio because I don't know the, the real detail, all the details of your particular situation. But the, when you go down and actually sit with the Social Security people, they're very good and they know their business and they'll be able to walk you through the uh, what uh, Social Security will provide for you and your family in this particular circumstance. Okay. Okay. Thank you for your help. All right. Thank you. All right. You have a good day now. This is this is Jim McAleese. You're listening to Get Rich Slow. You can give us a call over our toll free number. It's one eight 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 two eight one eleven ten. Stay tuned. I'll be right back. Just hear those sleigh bells jingling, ringing, Welcome back to Get Rich Slow. This is your host this morning, Jim McAleese. We were talking originally about um, what the economy is doing and uh, how it's uh, uh, bearing up or not bearing up under this, uh, this uh, what would you call it, the third, uh, the third uh, coronavirus phase of this uh, pandemic. And uh, we can we can see that in the uh, employment situation report. We can also see that in the claims for unemployment benefits. If we take a look at uh, uh, the number of unemployment benefits that were uh, applied for this week, uh, we're seeing that uh, uh, we have 712,000 uh, benefits that were applied for. That's down 75,000 from the previous week. Uh, which is good news. Uh, and uh, if we were the, uh, uh, but still in all, we take a look at the actual numbers. What it says is that we have from month to month, uh, the number of people on unemployment uh, is right now stands at 5.5 million uh, workers are on continuing unemployment from month to month. And uh, as I said before, uh, when they get to the end of the uh, the state unemployment benefits, then the uh, federal government unemployment benefits will kick in. And uh, uh, that number, the 5.5 million, is down uh, 569,000 from the previous week. That means that. Uh, uh, Either people have gone back to work or that people are dropping out of the uh, the labor uh, force because they have to take care of the uh, youngsters or because they don't want to work in this 
uh, environment where you have so many uh, coronavirus cases. So in Ohio, that number of continuing cases stands at about 169,000 uh, workers. So basically, uh, what you're what you're looking at is is uh, the the uh, 712,000 applications, new applications for unemployment benefits, are people that uh, there was 75,000 less than the previous week. But what you're seeing is that there's a churn of people uh, going on unemployment. Uh, uh, some people are going back to work. Some people are being laid off, uh, particularly within the uh, tourism and the, and the uh, restaurant industries and things of this nature, which suddenly uh, you can see businesses where they've opened two or three times and uh, they're basically getting to the end of what they what they can do to stay open. Uh, that's a different picture from uh, what you're seeing in manufacturing. In manufacturing, we're basically looking at the uh, uh, manufacturing state for November. And uh, in that case, we basically look at the Institute of Supply Management in their manufacturing index. And that basically shows that the... Uh, uh, in November, well, before I get into that, the what they do, the Institute of Supply Management, uh, they take a survey of uh, managers in the manufacturing industry, and they ask them questions about uh, new orders this month versus last month. In other words, it's basically uh, talking to the managers and getting uh, uh, their assessment of how this month did. Uh, to the previous month in terms of uh, production, new orders, backlog, uh, employment, things of this nature. And then they put this into a their methodology and grind the numbers down, and they come up with a index number that if it comes out 50, that means it's kind of neutral. We're not expanding. We're not contracting. If it comes out higher than 50, that means we're expanding. If it comes out less than 50, that means we're contracting. So in November, uh, it eased down a little bit, but it, it eased down from uh, 59.3 in uh, October to uh, uh, 57.5 in November, which still shows a lot of strength in uh, strength and growth in uh, November and uh, give you an idea of what their respondents, the managers, are saying in this particular area. For instance, in computers and electronic products, uh, they're saying that the suppliers are still experiencing labor shortages resulting in component constraints. However, we're seeing life from customers, so there's a positive outlook moving into the first quarter of 2021. Chemical products, uh, their comments were production issues for petrochemicals are getting resolved after a very active hurricane season. This is helping balance supply and demand. Uh, transportation equipment like cars and, and uh, heavy equipment, stuff like this, the resurgence in COVID cases is adding strain to our Tier 1 and Tier 2 suppliers. 
multi multiple suppliers mentioning that finding new people is an issue with the COVID situation, and there's a learning curve for new supplier hires impacting production efficiencies at our place. So it's a matter of uh, they're going well, except the supply chains are having difficulty keeping up. Uh, food and beverage and tobacco products, they we're getting a lot more COVID-19 hits in our factories. We're sending our employees home for 14 days to quarantine if they come in close proximity to an individual that tested positive. We've had to shut down production lines due to a lack of staffing. The cost of goods sold is much higher than normal due to labor and production and efficiency. So, um, uh, Petroleum says that jet fuel uh, being down in consumption really hurts the refining market. And uh, uh, fabricated metal products uh, says that we will finish out the quarter very strong. Customers are increased demand in 2021 is expected to continue to grow. So uh, if you take a look at uh, um, new orders, 36% in November, 36% said new orders were up. 14% says that new orders were down, which indicates progress. In other words, as long as the, as long as the uh, new orders are up significantly above the previous month, then we're happy. Uh, production, 34% said that uh, production was up, 14% said it was down, uh, 52% said it was the same as usual. Backlog of orders, uh, 29% said the backlog is growing, 15% said no, no it's uh, it's uh, decreasing. That's all, the backlog increasing is always a good sign particularly is new orders and backlog increasing are always good signs for employment because uh, uh, that's when the companies figures that they've got to bring on more people. Uh, new export orders, uh, 22% said that this month was better than last month. 7% said no. Employment was kind of, uh, uh, kind of neutral. 15% said that... Uh, uh, the the uh, new this month was better than last month. Nineteen percent said no. So basically, uh, the new orders and the backlog increases haven't translated yet into uh, people uh, bringing other new employees on board. So what we're seeing is that uh, the economy and manufacturing is moving right along. And uh, it's just slow, slow to hair, but that's not really important, not, not in these numbers. Another organization, they also look at the, the manufacturing sector, and uh, they also came to a similar conclusion. That organization was the Market Corporation, and they come up with the uh, U.S. Manufacturing Purchasing Managers Index, which is the same. Uh, the concept is similar to the Institute of Supply Management, but the methodology is different. The, the, the thing is really key to that 50 is a neutral point, and anything above 50 is good, and below 50 is a contraction. According to them, according to uh, Clint, uh, Chris Williamson, who is their chief business economist, 
the manufacturing quote the manufacturing recovery kicked up a gear in November with production growth accelerating to the highest for over six years. Uh, most encouraging was the breakdown in the rise of new orders, which underpinned the expansion. Although demand for consumer products remained somewhat subdued, mainly reflecting the rising virus infection rate, demand for investment goods, such as business equipment and machinery, uh, rose especially sharply. The rise in investment spending sends a welcome message that companies had become more optimistic about longer-term prospects and something that was reinforced by a surge in future expectations uh, about production in the year ahead. Uh, even consumer-facing uh, sectors uh, to the highest point since uh, early 2015. They continue, and they say confidence is boosted by encouraging vaccine news during this month, uh, augmented uh, arguing well for life returning to normal at some point in the coming year, as well as hopes of increased stimulus spending and infrastructure investment of the election. So if you, if you take a look at delve into their report, what you're seeing is November uh, purchasing managers index data from the IH, IHS Market Corporation signaled a noticeable improvement in the health of the U.S. manufacturing sector and overall growth was supported by faster upturns in output in new orders and stronger domestic and foreign client demand. Uh, employment rose only marginally, however, and pressure on capacity was exasperated by uh, near-survey record supply chain delays and input uh, uh, shortages, despite, despite short-term uncertainty reflected in slow hiring firms are the most confident regarding the output, the outlook for output over the coming year in almost six years. So all in all, what you're seeing is that the that part of the economy, which is not uh, facing the uh, you, know, you know facing other people, uh, is, is doing well and uh, moving along. And uh, uh, once we get this uh, uh, this vaccination started in. Uh, December, I saw an article by uh, Dr. Fauci who indicated that uh, hopefully uh, by the middle of next year, uh, uh, they'll make a major, major impact on vaccinations of the general uh, population. Uh, uh, So the idea here is that uh, this too shall pass in terms of... uh, Uh, this uh, coronavirus, and uh, we'll be getting back to normal perhaps in the uh, second half of next year. This is Jim McAleese. You're listening to Get Rich Slow. Uh, Stay tuned. I'll be right back. Welcome back to Get Rich Slow. When we wrestle with the national problems of today, let's remember that we, the people of the United States, have successfully weathered a lot worse. 
One of those events was the Second World War, and that's when the U.S. began on December 7, 1941. It began with a Japanese sneak attack on Pearl Harbor. When we remember that day, let's think about what happened on that day of infamy. And here's a poem or a prayer, and it was written by an unknown sailor 60 years ago. It goes like this. The USS Arizona one day stood proud and tall, December 7, 1941, the morning she would fall. Utah and Oklahoma would suffer similar fates, battleships that lost their lives along with their shipmates. A quiet Sunday morning, no fear was in the air. Soon the skies were filled with foreign planes bringing death and despair. A lazy Sunday morning, many still in bed, 1,177 sailors and Marines were dead on the USS Arizona. Others, like the USS Nevada, were repaired to live again and answered our nation's call to respond to Pearl's bloody stain. Four long years of devastation, both nations at war, Japan would feel the final blast from knocking at our door. Hopefully, we'll never forget that attack and that came to be when sailors and marines alike fell silent to the sea. So let's say a prayer and special thanks to all who guard this sea, who watch the skies and keep us safe and keep us free. You know, when we remember with these words, let's remember the words and the deeds, because in the situation we're in right now, that puts it in perspective in terms of what we can do. So until we meet again next week, for more of Get Rich Slow, may God protect you and keep you safe. You have been listening to Get Rich Slow with host Jim McAleese. For an outline and registration form regarding the Money School series, call 440 440- For a complete list of books written by Tama McAleese, call 440-647-2793. Or to make an appointment with Jim regarding your own personal financial issues, call 440-647-2793. Jim will be back with Get Rich Slow next Saturday morning on 1420 WHK with more common sense finance strategies for financial winners. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Next Financial Group, Inc., a member of FINRA and SIPC. Cornerstones Consultant, Inc. is not an affiliate of Next Financial Group, Inc.